Well, it's good to see that uh, a few habits do truly die hard, um, the first of which is Janice finding a way to make us cry um, in the middle of worship, and the second being that you have found a way to still sit in your same seats, even though you haven't been here in six months. Um, so it's good to see some old habits do die hard. Um, I, uh, I'm excited for today for a number of reasons. Um, to see many of your faces. There's this kind of moment that we're all experiencing where we reunite with old friends and the joy that comes with that along with the how are we going to interact? Is it elbows? Is it fists? Is it kicks? Is it hugs? And trying to figure all that out. But as we enter into a new phase as a church, uh, we're starting a new sermon series today. And it's based on uh, six verses in Colossians. And we're going to be sitting in these six verses for the next four weeks. And I share that with you because I want you to memorize it. I want you to know it because it's God's word to us for this moment, for this next season, and we have to get on board with it quickly. Um, He's not waiting for us to finish the series for us to actually do it. He's saying, let's do this now. So let me read these verses to you. It's found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Here's what it says. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to start by kind of peeling back the curtain and saying, how do we get to this passage? And it happened because of Colossians 3.15. That verse says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. It was a verse that was shared uh, prophetically to me by a member of our community, even though they didn't know that it was for our church. And I've said that before, but now I'm going to reveal who it was. And it was my wife, Amber which for some of you it means it has way more credibility already um, as a result. Now, before you think that, you know, she just has this like special bat phone that has a direct line to me, which is A, true, um, but B, I want you to know that I'm sharing that with you because that was a word that she thought was just for her, but then she shared it with me, and as God began to confirm it, he was saying, this is a word for our church now. And I'm telling you that because I want us to be a people that listen for God's words and are unafraid of saying, hey, this might be for more than just me. That you might be able to say, I'm hearing him in a song. I'm hearing him in the scriptures. I'm hearing this phrase over and over again. There's something that God seems to be telling me that I think might be good for the church. Now, it may not be for the church. It may just be for you. But God has given us a team of pastors and a prayer team to discern, is he speaking just to you or is he speaking to all of us? 
And over the course of this um, last few weeks, it's been clear that that wasn't just a word for her. It wasn't just a word for our family. It was a word that God was speaking to our entire church. And in Colossians 3.15, it says one body. And that's the name of this sermon series. That for four weeks, we are going to be asking the question, how can we be that one body to which indeed we were called in this new phase? Where there's some of you who are here and there's a lot of you who are online and there's some of you that are in the city and there's many that have been sent and scattered to different parts of the country. There's people that are now tuning in from Portland and Russia and and Brazil and all these other spaces and going, what does it mean to be one body when we can't be physically in the same place? And I say that because there's been so much conversation these last two months of when are we going to gather again? And how are we going to gather? How many people can be there? What are they, what's it going to look like when we do gather? And all these different questions that are important because we want to be wise, you know, but we also want to understand what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be the body in this moment? And as I've wrestled with that over the last couple of weeks and just trying to answer a lot of those questions because some of you are like, when are we gonna gather again? I gotta see people. And other you are like, why would we ever gather? Because those are super spreader events. What are you doing? You know, I feel like God is just saying we're arguing about the wrong issue. We get distracted from what God is trying to say. It's not about how we gather or when we gather or whether we gather. It is whether we choose to be the church. It's whether we choose to be what God intended us to be as individual Christians and then a people together committed to what he has asked us to do. And that is way more essential. Because if we want to see revival in this city and see it rebuilt from where it's been, if we want to see revival in the lives of our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, see the streets and systems changed, it only happens when we be the church, not just gather as the church. Because I long for the day when this room is filled, full of vibrant worship that's exciting and crazy. We're seeing those moves of God like we have experienced and tasted before. I look forward to that day and it will come. But God's not waiting for it to come so that we could be gathered in the same place. He is calling us now, wherever we've been sent, wherever we go, to be gathered around one purpose, more than just be gathered in one place. And, and over the last couple of weeks, I've just been wrestling, is there evidence that that's true? And there is, because the church throughout history has experienced so much physical persecution that they haven't been able to gather but the mission of God has gone forth even faster when that happens. Because in 1949, in China, when Mao Zedong took over and China became a communist country, they began to repress religion and of all forms, but especially Christianity. There had been hundreds of years of missionary activity through the Catholic and the Protestant church. And in 1949, they kicked out every foreign missionary. And at the time, there were a little bit less than one million Protestant Christians. And the Protestant missionaries that were kicked out, and many people said, what's going to happen to the church? How is it going to survive? And for 30 years, they had no idea. But after the Cultural Revolution, they began to reopen back up. And when the missionaries came back, and when the leaders of the church re-entered, they did not find a church diminished. They did not find a church defeated. 
They founded a church dedicated and devoted to God and four times as big as it was when they left it. And since 1980, it has continued to grow, where in 2010, they estimated almost 50 million Christians. Now that estimate is up to 80 to 100 million Christians in China, where the last 10 years has seen just as much persecution, physical destruction of churches, arrests of pastors, demanding that they not gather and they not meet, and yet they cannot stop the spread of Christianity. So much so that by 2030, they estimate that there will be more Christians in China than in any, any, any nation in the world. And yet at the same time, here in America with all of our freedoms, to gather in whatever form and whatever big space and venue that we can, the church has declined. And we have to wrestle with the question, why? Some have said it's that it's because Christian thri Christianity thrives as a persecuted minority and it begins to die as a powerful majority. That may be true. The influences of power may diminish what we were intended to be as a people who are to be humble and servants of others. But the scriptures don't say that. They don't say, watch out for power because it'll destroy the church. Get persecution because it'll help the church. Now, the testimonies of the scripture is it's not about prosperity and it's not about persecution. It's about being the people that God intended. And so as we go through this one body series, we're going to be answering the question, how do we exist as the people of God with the same purpose? Because that's what spreads the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. That's how revival happens. Not because we get more people in the same room or a bigger venue to gather them in. But when we choose to embrace the power of the living God inside of us by faith in Jesus and carry, with it, carry, us, carry it with us wherever we go. So we're going to unpack these six verses for the next four weeks. But today, I want us to see how as one body, we need to have the same purpose. And then in that same purpose, a few practices by which we can embrace that work of God in our lives. The same purpose and a few practices. And the same purpose that he highlights is found in Colossians 3.17. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if you've been around church, you've probably heard that verse. You've actually heard this, like, do it in the name in a number of ways. Jesus says, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. Well, what does that actually mean, to do something in the name of Jesus? Because in our common practice, we like dilute it. Because <laughs> I, I end every prayer, no matter if it was for dinner or it is like asking God to do a miracle with, in the name of Jesus. And it's way better with a pastor voice, even though I don't actually use a pastor's voice every time. But it's, it kind of loses its luster when we use it so often and it kind of, we don't forget what we're asking and what we're declaring. See, in the name means that you have the authority of that individual and you are doing it on their behalf for their wishes to be accomplished. You have their authority. You're doing it on their behalf so that their wishes would be accomplished. So yesterday I got to officiate a wedding. It was my second pandemic wedding. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I love weddings. 
But whether it was just a small gathering of a family or whether an outdoor wedding where they could actually gather with people, it was, I ended the wedding in the same way. I said, by the authority given to me, by the state of New York, and as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I declare you husband and wife. What God has brought together, let no man separate. I was declaring by the authority given to me by the government a new reality for their lives. I changed their legal status by words that I spoke, by a signature on a page. And in a spiritual way, I, declare, I changed how they were seen spiritually, no longer as two in the eyes of God, but as one flesh. By the authority given to me in Jesus' name. And he says, every Christian has that authority Every Christian can walk on the behalf of Jesus Christ to represent him and do his wishes wherever they go and whatever they do. He says there's the same purpose. Man, it's good to hear an amen. (laughs) Instead of a camera, click. It's the same purpose. And he says it's very clear that it's about what you do and how you give thanks. It is about your actions and your attitude. It's about your hands and your heart and putting them with in, in to, to delivery of the authority of Jesus for his purposes and his ends. So whatever you do, what does he mean by that? I'm a big task list person and so I immediately start to go, okay, here's my task list. What does it mean to do an email in the name of Jesus? What does it mean to wash dishes in the name of Jesus? What does it mean to wake up in the name of Jesus before 10 o'clock? Like, what does it mean to do all these things, these task lists? And God cares about that. He cares about the mundane. And he can meet you in the middle of washing dishes. And he can meet you in the middle of an email and a spreadsheet. He can meet you in those things, just as he can in the monumental. He cares about them. But there's greater meaning to that language of whatever you do. The word actually means create or make. He's saying whatever you are creating, whatever you are making, do it in the name of Jesus. What is that task list building towards? What are these mundane moments of every day trying to make? And he's doing it to call you back to Genesis. To say, remember what it was for me to make in word and deed. For God to speak life into existence. To create the beautiful mountains of the national parks that we can actually go visit right now. To create the sunset that we can enjoy, the cool breeze when he created it with a word. And yet indeed, by the power of the Spirit, hovering and then carrying out the words of God. Reshaping and forming where the seas went and how you and I would breathe. Whatever you do, in word or deed, are you and I creating or are we making the purposes and the plans of Jesus or you are making the purposes and plans of you. Is whatever you are doing and creating and crafting, as it gets bigger, does God get bigger? As it has more influence and impact, does God have more influence and impact? Or do you? Does he have more followers? Or do you? He's saying whatever you do, in word or deed, as you speak to one another in your homes, as you speak in the workplace, as you act and create, are you making the plans and purposes of Jesus? Whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of Jesus. But then he says, here's how you can maintain that. 
if you're a thankful child. The only way that you can maintain speaking and acting on behalf of God is if you are a thankful child. He says, do it all, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Have you ever tried to do something without a thankful heart? How long does that last? Not long. Even over the course of this pandemic, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, we've had a pretty good situation, and so I'm very thankful for it. And yet, if you're anything like me, there's been times where envy has crept in, has it not? Whether you see different parts of the world experiencing normal as you wanted it, or experiencing different prosperity of people having more peace or space, there's been envy that's creeped in. Because what happens when you try to do something without a thankful heart is jealousy and envy draws you away from God's purposes. And it makes you grasp for things that God has not given to you yet. Instead of having a thankfulness to him saying, God said, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness in this moment. I've given you everything you need for every moment. But it requires that you have a gratitude of receiving those things as gifts from me so that you can cultivate it. Going back to the garden, it was a lack of thankfulness for all that they had been given that began to have them have eyes on what God said, that's bad for you. And it was their rebellion of all the gifts and the purposes that he had intended that began to destroy their purpose and all that he intended. And the same happens for you and I. He says, do this, but the way that you maintain that is if you come to him and say, thank you for this day, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for these skills of my hands that whether they are typing at a computer or they are crafting something beautiful, they have a purpose and I can achieve something for the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. Thankful for these people that I get to speak words of life to and receive words of life to. There has to be a thankfulness that marks us. So that whatever we do, we create and we make Jesus' plans and purposes. To be thankful that we have his authority and actually believe it and act upon it. That's what he's calling us to. That's what he is ultimately after. Now, too many notes. That's the same purpose. And I want to end today by giving you just three kind of high-level practices. And they are different spaces, practices that you can do in private, practices you can do in personal relationships, and then practices you do in public. These are the practices that maintain and keep us as one body on the same purpose. Because right now we are being trying to be pulled apart. And the practices of our lives are allowing this division to take root in our society. The practices that you do in private, in personal relationships, and in public are distracting you from the purpose in which God has intended. And the words of Colossians 3, 12 through 17 give you the practices. The first practice is private and individual, and it's to get dressed. Because that's what you do in private. You get dressed. Hopefully you do that in private. See, um, my wife likes to tease me about the uh, shirts I choose on Sunday. She's like, oh, going with the white shirt must be a special day. I'm like, it is a special day. But what she's highlighting is that I get dressed based on the purpose that I have coming that day. And God is saying you as his son or daughter 
should get dressed based on the purpose that he has for you that day. Verse 12 says, put on. Put on as holy chosen ones of God, beloved, compassion, in place of anger, kindness instead of a harsh word, patience instead of intolerance, bearing with each other, forgiveness instead of bitterness. Every day, get dressed with Jesus Christ. Now, how do you do that? Paul gives some language about getting dressed in multiple ways. One is this language of just the clothes that you wear, of clothing yourself with Jesus. But in Ephesians 6, he says, put on armor because you're about to go to war. And he gives words and phrases to that that I would encourage you to say as you get dressed. And you're like, that's cheesy. Are you going to miss out on something because you think it's cheesy? Where it's being able to put on something and saying, I am a chosen one of God. Holy and beloved. To be able to declare that I have a purpose of bringing compassion to a world that's hurting. I need to put on forgiveness today for that person I know that's offended by me. Being able to say these things and pray these things is declaring who you are in private so that you can be who God intended you to be in public. And so get dressed in private with Jesus and put on him and his character. The second is get engaged. Get engaged. See, he uses all this language of one another and how we treat each other. And there is a moment right now where the one another's have actually shrunk because we're not interacting with as many people as we used to, especially in New York City. And so the community that you had established before is typically the community that you're interacting with now in the business world and the personal world. And in that one another, it requires that you get engaged to the point where you'd have to bear with one another. <laughs> Bearing with each other requires that you be around each other a whole lot. And anybody over the last six months who's had roommates they've had to quarantine with, a spouse they've had to quarantine with, kids or parents they've had to quarantine with, knows that the bearing with one another is a little bit harder when all you have is one another. But he's saying that you are engaged at such a level that someone can offend you and hurt you, and you demand that you are, you are tolerant and patient and forgiving to them. And right now, we have two forms of that. More and more, we have in-person, but the majority of our time is still spent digitally. And so I want to use Zoom as an example briefly. Because there is embodied Zoom and there is disembodied Zoom. And disembodied Zoom is awful, just like disembodied presence is awful. Where if you're talking to somebody, they're looking at their phone and they're distracted, that's not a fun conversation. In disembodied Zoom, we've become so concerned with kind of business, business etiquette Zoom that in community groups or prayers or things like that, we say our piece and then we hit mute. And then I see you on the camera going... Laughing, and I'm like, I just want to hear that laugh. <laughs> or I see you tense up slightly, but I can't see how that tenseness is because of someone's words in the community to be able to press in and go, hey, what happened there? There's a disembodied version of Zoom that exists inside of Christian communities, so much so that you, many of you have stopped engaging. We've seen it, and the church at large has seen it. And it's a chance now for us to get engaged again to return to the practices that actually matter for the purposes of God. And if we can only do one another through Zoom prayer and through Zoom community groups and Zoom classes, then that's what we have to do right now. 
because it demands that we maintain the one body, same purpose that he's called us to. And that we do not grow weary of doing good and engaging with each other, but we continue on the purpose he's called. So we get dressed in private, get engaged in one another as a church, but then go demonstrate. Go demonstrate that you are clothed in Christ, that you have been with the body of Christ, and the way that you love them declares to the world that you have a Savior who loves. And that requires that you demonstrate. And it's easy for us now to see that when issues matter, people demonstrate. When issues of injustice matter, they protest. But there are healthy protests and there is unhealthy protests. There is a peaceful protest that declares that we want dignity and value to come to every single human life so no one should be treated differently by the color of their skin. We're going to peacefully protest and demand change until it happens. But there's unhealthy protest that then turns into organized looting and rioting and destruction. And in the same way, as a body of Christ, there is healthy demonstration and unhealthy demonstration. There is coming into a world in the same way with judgment and demands, or there is coming into a world to serve and to love, to come into your workplace or the schools or wherever he's placed you to contribute, to speak life, to speak truth, even if you don't have to use scripture, to speak wisdom in the excellence of your work without saying, well, it's tied to this verse and this chapter, but that you carry that with you. One brief example. As schools have reopened, I've been involved with our uh, with our school's administration to try to figure out how they're going to open middle school. And I feel so bad for the principals and the teachers of public school. It's a disaster. But when you get inside of these Zoom calls, the administration's discouraged, the teachers are frustrated, the kids are frustrated, and the parents are angry. And it is so easy right now to be a healthy demonstration of Jesus Christ because all you have to do is be a peaceful presence in an anxious and an angry world. But that demands that you get dressed, that you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. To indeed, we were called as one body because you cannot be a non-anxious presence that the world needs if you have not been in the presence of God to experience his Prince of Peace reigning and ruling in you. We've been called to be one body, unified, of one purpose, of one baptism, of one Lord, of one Savior, of one Spirit, in a world that is very divided, at least into two parties, at least into so many different opinions. And we have this chance now to say, come under one Savior, into one body, to experience the peace that you desire, the love that you demand, the hope that you're desperate for. If we can't do it, we can't offer it. We are one body. And no matter how we gather or how we're sent, whether we're here in the city or scattered somewhere else, we have the same purpose. Let's pray. Father, we surrender to you, to the scriptures, that they would wash over us. And we choose to meditate on these six verses because we want them to soak in so that we truly are one body with one mind and the same purpose. So that together, in whatever we do, we do it in your name 
for your purposes and your plans to be accomplished in this world. That's what we want and that's what we desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.